Welcome to Near Death Experience Podcast. I'm Chaz Hathaway. We are continuing today on uh, from John Pontius's book, Visions of Glory. And just from the, uh, I mean, we've only gone a few pages in and it's been astounding so far. And, and we're not obviously going to share um, even a tenth of this book, obviously. We're, we're only sharing snippets, but, uh, but there's so much great information in here that uh, we may refer to this again. I scanned ahead to see where, you know, kind of pick up on the experience uh, with the idea that, you know, let's see what happens after he leaves his body. But in seeing more of what he's experiencing in his life review, I, I just couldn't stop um, here because there's such incredible stuff here. Um, so he's he's going on and he's seeing a bit of his father's perspective, his biological father, who by this time I think is dead. Um, yes, in fact, he he says at one point that his mom had never let him meet his father um, and his father died before he was an adult. So he never had the opportunity to meet him anyway. Um, but he'd been taught all his life by his mother that he was he was a, a drunk, an addict, and, and he was full of selfishness, that he was a narcissist, and and therefore, you know, it was his selfishness that had had led him to divorce her and 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 ditch um, the family and so forth. Um, and so he's having this life review now, and um, and he says, when I saw my biological father's perspective on these events and his leaving and divorcing my mother, I learned that it was not all selfishness not all narcissism, as I had supposed all my life. When he realized my mom was pregnant, he knew, or thought he knew, that I would be better off without him. That may have not been true, but that was his perception. He knew his life choices would only damage me. He did not leave me because of selfishness or because of alcoholism alone as had been as i had been taught he truly thought i would be better off without him interesting isn't it uh, that he, he in his own kind of broken mind sort of way his father thought that he was you know it, it was a sort of unselfish decision he was making to leave interesting okay continuing on with the text i understood his pain his childhood, his conflicts with his parents, and his relationship with his father. I understood those things perfectly, which no mortal can understand while yet mortal. Not even my father understood it this way. I understood for the first time that my father actually loved my mother very much. His weakness and and history handicapped his ability to let love triumph into his decisions. I also saw that Christ's love and Heavenly Father's love for him, no matter what mistakes he had made. This served to completely change my judgment of my mother and father and my assumptions of what they had done and what they had... and wait, About why they had done what they had done. Sorry. This new perspective created great conflict in me because it changed almost every judgment and conclusion I had made during my life. It was all swept away in a split second in this non-mortal time frame. 
And he goes on to talk about how he doesn't know if, if he had died at that time, would he have issues trying to deal with that then? Or would it just be swept up in love? Or did his returning, you know, give him a context to be able to start sorting through these feelings and recognition of, you know, um, his whole life of judgment was completely tossed aside. And he realized that he had no place to judge at all. And uh, it was completely disarming and completely um, disorienting to him when he returned. But how interesting, how interesting. Now he talks about uh, further about a bully. We're not going to go into great detail about the things that this bully did to him. Um, but it was mean. It was, it was, it was very bully-like. <laughs> Let's just put it that way. And... Um, then he goes on and he says, seeing the impact, let's see, so, oh, um, okay, actually, let me, let me pick up here. He says, when I stood up to Jake and hit him back, so he had this bully and he finally fought him, hit him back, he said it totally changed his thinking about his world. I saw that he felt powerless and victimized himself. My little act of courage showed him that he, showed him, Wait a minute. My little act of courage showed him that he was not, I guess, a victim himself, I suppose. Or maybe showed him that he was not courageous. I don't know. Anyway, he never bullied me again or anyone else again. He was changed by that experience. He became my friend because I had unknowingly given him the key to his own freedom from tyranny. Our new friendship allowed Jake to resolve his own relationship struggles with his father. He was emboldened to stand up to his father because of my action. I'm going to pause for a second. That's interesting because if he was a bully and, and beating up kids and being cruel, he may, not, he may have thought some people are bullies and some people are victims. And seeing a victim stand up and see that... Uh, a victim could become a victor, if you will, uh, may have told him, told that bully, that he could stand up to his own victimization and could stand up to it, that he didn't have to be a bully, that he could be, uh, it, it wasn't between bully and victim, it could be, you know, uh, victor and overcome, you know, and so forth. Anyway, um just as Jake stopped bullying me, his father stopped bullying him when Jake refused to submit, and his dad actually left shortly after that. Seeing the impact that my friendship had upon him was a revelation to me. I had never suspected that there was any motivation for his bullying except meanness. After the vision, I understood why he had taken his frustration out on me and others. Now, here's the clincher. And I'm going to have to ask your forgiveness for my ferret in the background making noise and knocking things around. Right, Chloe? <laughs> okay, he says, um, and this is, this is kind of the clincher for me. This is the thing that uh, really gets my attention. He says, from my life rehearsal, I learned that this was all divinely engineered that we both needed this close relationship and it had to start with his bullying me in order to heal him. 
I saw that I had agreed to all of this prior to our birth. Our divinely ordained friendship had a lasting impact in his healing and his relationship with his family and upon me. I could not have learned these things without him. And then it's kind of fun. He talks about as he's getting, you know, first off, that it totally changed his perspective on his relationship, on bullies in general, and and in their, you know, why they do what they do, why, what their real motivations are and so forth. And they're not um, generally just meanness, as he says. And then he talks about how as they got older, his friend Jake, who had been the bully, um, worked together on uh, performing in a musical in college, uh, the musical Oklahoma. And he had played Judd, and I, as he said, played Curly. In the musical, Judd and Curly are both in love with Laurie. Curly confronts Judd about his bullying, and they become friends of sorts. But after Laurie agrees to marry my character, Curly, Judd, oh, my character Curly, Judd breaks into the wedding and threatens Curly with a knife. In the ensuing brawl, Judd falls on his knife and dies. Curly, of course, gets the girl. The play was a metaphor of our relationship, which was not lost on either of us. Kind of interesting there. That's a, a little interesting life lesson. Okay, let's move on to another uh, thing later. He, As he's... Um, with his body, he kind of, he, he becomes aware, remember his attention is in multiple places, partly on his life review, or um, life, uh, how does he word it, his, uh, life rehearsal, as he puts it, and he's also aware of his wife sitting in the waiting room, and he comes back to talk about that, he says, I became aware of my wife sitting in the waiting room, she hears them call Code Blue. She'd been reading some magazines and so forth. And he recognizes her worry. He recognizes her concern. In the same way that uh, he recognizes the doctor's motivations and feelings and so forth. I mean, he hears a, she hears a Code Blue being called. And of course, she doesn't know who it is that's being called Code Blue. And she's getting scared. You know, what if that's my husband? And of course it is. Um, but she doesn't know that at the time, and she's scared. And um, he says, My complete attention went to her, though doing so did not diminish my understanding or complete attention to what was still happening around my body. I knew I had come through two walls to be in the waiting room with her, but I did not experience passing through them. Okay, so he's standing beside her. I I left that out, but... Uh, He's going, uh, sorry, not standing, I'm sitting, maybe standing next to her as she's sitting in the waiting room. He's, oh, yeah, he says, I found myself standing right next to her. I could tell everything about her. I knew exactly what she was feeling and thinking. I knew what she had been reading in the magazine that she had just placed on her lap. She was concerned and wishing someone would tell her that I was okay that I was not the one having a ca the cardiac arrest. I thought, here I am, I'm dead and out of my body, and I can't even communicate with you. I felt empathetic for her fear and pain, but it struck me as a dilemma, even a bit funny. I could see her and hear her thoughts, but I couldn't talk to her in 
any way that she, in a way that she would understand. I remember thinking, how am I going to let you know that I'm all right, even though I'm no longer living? I began to wonder if she would be able to sense me or hear me, perhaps, if I moved through her. I asked her, in my mind, if I could have her permission to move through her. Even though she was not aware of me, her spirit answered yes. I instinctively knew I had to have her permission to do this. I understood this, but I'm not sure why or how. It wasn't until later that I began to understand that entering into a person's body is very invasive, and a righteous spirit always seeks permission if it is even necessary, if it is ever necessary. Evil spirits wait for opportunities when we are spiritually weak or after we have rendered ourselves vulnerable by disobedience to God's laws and they enter into us as an act of spiritual violence. After her spirit responded that I could, I moved through her and I immediately understood the difference between her physical body and her spiritual body. Her physical self had no realization that I was interacting with her. Her spiritual self, however, was fully aware of me and what I was trying to do and say. The problem was that, like most mortals, she was only aware of her physical body, captive to it, so to speak, and not in tune with her spirit at that time in her life. I realized that moving through her was no advantage to my trying to communicate with her, as I passed through her, I learned many things about what her experience in mortality had been like, what it felt like to be a woman, to be loved, to be protected, and now to be fearful for her protector. I understood her completely, including what it was like to have our sons and daughters, and how hard it was to live with my illness and struggles. Interesting. And then he goes on in the next paragraph to say, Lynn was sitting in a crowded waiting room. After I passed through her to no effect, I began looking around the room. I could see that there were many spirit persons in the room along with the mortals that were there. And I'm going to go ahead and stop there for now um, because, again, there's some really interesting things there, um, some of which I have never come across before and find remarkably interesting. Um, the bully thing I have come across before, that many times people who hurt other people and cause serious injury to them, either emotionally, physically, um, spiritually, whatever, often that is decided in uh, before they come to earth, that they would allow each other to or not even allow each other, they would, they would volunteer to be that person who provided those necessary spirit lessons that would come from abuse or from bullying or, or from just, you know, whatever it is, offense, um, something that, that caused pain or caused a growth that could only happen through pain and suffering. And that that's agreed upon before people come to earth. I, I find that fascinating. Not that we should 
consider that justification in any way for um, allowing abuse to happen. In fact, often the lesson that is is needed to learn from that situation is perhaps this person is a victim mindset person. Maybe not by, um, you know, just, it's not that they were born with a victim mindset or anything, but as this abuser works their way into this person's heart and then begins to abuse and the abuse gets worse as the relationship becomes more codependent, if you will, and what seems to happen is the abuse becomes more severe as the dependence becomes more severe, which is backwards to how you would think it would be um, from just a outside logical standpoint. But from a psychological standpoint, this is how manipulation and so forth occurs. And from what I've read of near-death experiences and, and seeing the pre-decision that was made in heaven before coming to earth of the individuals, often the thing that needed to be learned was that in the midst of this victim mindset that it overtakes the victim, they need to learn the strength and agency and power that comes of getting out of that relationship, even when it seems impossible, even when it seems like there is no way this can be broken off. The lesson to be learned is found in the leaving of that relationship. That, to me, as both from this story and as well as other accounts that I've read, um, seem are a revelation to me. That that's that's remarkable. Um, that idea. I mean, that is a depth of commitment and love and irony, if you will, that is very difficult to um, come to terms with in the mortal mindset. I mean, that's, that's hard. That's hard to say, yeah, we, we chose that we would have this relationship and they would be abusive to me so that I could leave them and leave him or her or whatever and, and learn the lessons from um, getting out of that relationship. That's often the case. Now, other times the the uh, lesson is in overcoming the abuse, overcoming, you know, breaking that chain, especially for the abuser. And often it is after the relationship has failed um, that this lesson takes place, which is unfortunate. I think it could be learned before the relationship breaks in most cases if the abuser takes the initiative immediately and, uh, and stops, you know, and breaks that chain and so forth. But anyway point is the idea that this was chosen ahead of time in order to learn lessons that needed to be learned is remarkable. And of course, this, in this case, um, this boy standing up to his bully um, is what started a chain, you know, for, for himself and his spirit, it just showed him, you know what, you don't have to let people mess with you. And that was pretty much the lesson that he got out of it. But the bully, it changed his life. It changed his father's life. It changed, you know, just the whole cycle of events that happened ever after for that bully and his family and even their friendship. And I mean, the whole butterfly effect, the ripples that went out from that are remarkable simply because he stood up to the bully and said, no, 
and you know punched him <laughs> basically won the fight i guess anyway um and then this this thing about him visiting his wife there's there's tons here this is fascinating first off his wife doesn't know that he's um the one that's coded but she hears a code being called knows what code blue means somebody's had a cardiac arrest and their heart is is stopping and um has stopped and and she knows that but she doesn't know if it's him and she's scared she's she's afraid and he's here he's sitting there saying how am i how can i reach you and and tell you it's okay i'm fine even though i'm dead <laughs> i'm i'm totally okay even though i'm no longer living i'm totally okay which of course you know as he uh, has the further experience may realize that that probably isn't her only concern you know she has she has a family to raise but uh but it's interesting that he asks her in his mind can i move through you and without her body self even knowing her spirit answers yes now i gather from what he says cuz he goes on to say um it wasn't till later that i began to understand that entering another person's body is very invasive that it's that evil spirits often um, do it as an act of violence, of spiritual violence. I, I don't know if um, it's fair to compare it to rape, um, but I gather that something like taking control of a person without their permission especially is something of a spiritual rape. Um, however, in this case, he didn't know how invasive it really was, but he did ask permission and permission was given. I mean, this was his wife, which means they were probably very close. Their spirits were probably very, very close. And, and there was sufficient trust to allow that, allow this to take place. Um, and so, and so he, and gratefully he did ask permission because he said, I instinctively knew that I had to have her permission to do this. Gratefully, he had that, uh, that, instinctive knowledge um and she says yes and so he passes through her body let's see um i moved through her and immediately understood the difference between her physical body and her spiritual body interesting her physical self had no realization that i was interacting with her her spiritual self, however, was fully aware of me and what I was trying to do and say. So he did communicate with her spirit. However, her physical self didn't even recognize it. And here's the clincher for me. And something that just, bing, you know, kind of strikes a chord. He says, um, the problem was that like most mortals, she was only aware of her physical body, captive to it, so to speak, and not in tune with her spirit at that time in her life. Not in tune with her spirit. That seems to imply to me that we can move through our lives without being in tune with our spirit. And if we're not in tune with our spirit, then if a spirit strives to communicate with us, we won't recognize it. And yet, 
if we do, I mean, we know from all these experiences, especially from those who return, have special gifts to be able to communicate with spirits and so forth, that it is possible to become in tune with our spirits. Does that mean we're going to know of every spirit that's around us? Of course not. Of course not. But if somebody is trying to, if a spirit is trying to directly interact with us, to speak with us, to get a message to us, be it our our uh, guardian angels, guides, whatever, or or uh, a, a dead relative, loved one, whatever, um, or someone that's just there to you know to send a message or or whatever, if we're not in tune with our spirit, we may not recognize the message. But if we are the message gets through. Now, would that take place in the form of a dream, uh, a feeling in the gut? You know, that I don't know. That's going to be different for every person, I, I suspect. Um, so becoming in tune with our spirits sounds like something worth striving for. Interesting. Interesting. I do like how it, how it says, too, um, how... He also, in passing through her, suddenly learned many things about her experience and more uh, in how her what her mortality had been like and what it felt like to be a woman, which I think would be healthy for any man to be able to experience from his wife, um, to know what it's like to be a woman, to be loved and and to be protected and and how fearful. Um, she was for her protector at this moment. And um, he understood her completely, it says, including what it was like to have our sons and daughters and how hard it was to live with my illnesses and struggles. Interesting, isn't it? I mean, just just absolutely fascinating, this stuff. And again, I, I don't want to give this as fact because, um, you know, again, I consider myself a student of near-death experiences. I will confess right here and now, I believe it. I believe it. I believe what's what they're saying. I don't think he's making this up, and I don't think this is, you know, one of those made-up things in order to make money or whatever. It, you know, this just, it something strikes a chord with me. Something speaks to me and says, pay attention to that. Listen to that. And I hope, I hope it's becoming in tune with my spirit, if you will. I don't know. You know, uh, uh, spirituality is, is a beautiful enigma that absolutely enthralls me. I, I'm fascinated by it. I'd love to understand it more. I wish I was better in tune to be able to recognize uh, more spiritual things. I certainly feel a draw toward it. I just can't say that I fully understand it yet, which is one of the reasons I'm a student of near-death experiences. I'm a student of, of religion in general as well, but near-death experiences strike an interesting chord for the simple fact that these are not religious discussions. I mean, they become them often because of how much there is relating to religious things and spiritual things. You know, there is a lot of of um, overlap, and as there should be. I mean, most religions branched from spiritual things, and and many of them continue to involve spiritual things, you know, probably more often than not, some level of spirituality. 
and uh, I leave it to your judgment to tell how much in any particular religion. Um, that I think is one of the uh, one of the things that we ought to be seeking in this life is finding the religions that best speak to the spirit and and help us to understand ourselves and our loved ones and so forth. I think there's great purpose in that. But uh, but as for the student aspect of it, it's nice to know that I don't know everything because what little I do know is both fascinating and clearly incomplete. There's very much that I don't understand and I'm excited to learn it, which is why I continue to study these things. So, let me read to you our phone number again if you would like to uh, share your experience. This will bring you to a voicemail. There will not be a, any individual picking up the phone and saying hello, <laughs> but there may be a Google a voice uh, you know, responder saying, please state your name or something. You can choose to be anonymous or you can, um, you, you can uh, choose to share your name, whichever you'd like. I'm not entirely clear whether it uh, informs me of that name given, so you can repeat it again in your message if, if you want your name to be sure to be included. If it doesn't show up, even though you included it in that initial thing, it means I haven't yet figured out how to <laughs> find it in my Google Voice message system. But the number for that is 970-633-2278. That's 970-NDE-CAST. And again, I would encourage you to leave a, a, a rating and a comment or something on iTunes. If you're on iTunes, you can also leave it on the website, which at present is neardeathexperiencepodcast.weebly.com. Soon to be, hopefully neardeathexperiencepodcast.org. Unfortunately, .com is not available yet. But uh, hopefully within the week that should show up. However, it will probably take me a couple of weeks to upload all the new, all the old material to it and so forth. So uh, I will keep you posted on that. In the meantime, keep listening. Keep uh, contacting me and letting me know if you're listening, if this is affecting you in any way, and please share it with others. If this has had any kind of effect on your life, if the study of near-death experiences has had any effect on your life, your perception, share it with others. I mean, why wouldn't we want to share that with others? Now, having said that, I totally get the shyness around it. These experiences seem to be non-denominational, which makes it hard to share with any denomination and obviously still hard to share with anyone non-denominational because, you know, it, it sounds very religious. We're talking about spirits. We're talking about God. We're talking about Jesus. You know, whether you're Christian, Buddhist, uh, uh, Muslim, whatever, we keep coming across these things that are just outside of our it commonly understood experience as Christians or Muslims or whatever. And, and so this is difficult to share. I understand. But understand also, think of the perspective that it has given you and think how that perspective might help another. I'm not trying to proselytize any 
particular religion. I'm just trying to offer some insight that, or, or hope or some kind of comfort that might be given and also perspective and the desire that these things bring to live a greater life of love and acceptance and and compassion and courage courage to do what you feel is right so with that thank you so much all of you for listening